Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Liz Moody Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're identifying invisible labor and evening the playing field, learning how to overcome our fears of death to live life to the fullest, or getting tips on how to have more fun. Because, spoiler alert, there are hidden health benefits. And yes, those are all real episodes, and they are linked in the show notes if you want to listen. I flew to Nashville recently, and I got to sit down with the lovely Hannah Brown for a super raw, vulnerable interview. If you are a fan of Hannah's from The Bachelorette or from winning Dancing with the Stars, you're going to get to see her in a whole different light. And if you didn't watch those, you're going to get to know someone that you are going to be obsessed with. Hannah is so raw and real and vulnerable about her journey, and it has been quite a journey. We unpack a lot of trauma in this episode, and she is so devoted to not only figuring out her own path, but helping other people along the way. I find it incredibly inspiring. A bit more on Hannah, she is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, God Bless This Mess, and she was on Special Forces World's Toughest Test, where she was one of only two contestants to last all 10 days and the only non-athlete left standing. She also hosts the beautiful podcast, Better Tomorrow, where she interviews celebrities, mental health experts, anyone who can help us have a better tomorrow than we had today. She actually interviewed me for her show, and I opened up about parts of my story I haven't shared anywhere else. So thank you to Hannah for creating a safe space for that, and definitely go and listen to that episode when you're done with this one. Here, Hannah and I get into her narcolepsy and the sleep tools that she's developed as a result, the traumatic experience Hannah went through as a kid and how she copes, how trauma impacts how we show up in relationships and how to move through that, how to date when you're still finding your own self-love and acceptance, who she would have picked if she'd been the bachelorette now, what it's like filming a reality show while struggling with anxiety how the media jumped on her bachelorette sex scandal, I'm putting this very much in quotes, and the ways that it still affects her today. This was really a surprising and interesting part of the conversation for me. Also, my mind was blown when I realized what had really happened there. I feel like it was so misconstrued in the media. So it was nice to get to talk to Hannah about all of that. Exactly how you can help a partner who struggles with anxiety, her tools for managing extreme stress and mental health struggles, and so much more. As always, we would both love to hear your thoughts as you're listening, so definitely screenshot and tag us on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and Hannah is at Hannah Brown. Hannah was so open and real, and hearing her story will make so many people feel less alone. So let us know if it resonates with you, and definitely share it with anyone you think needs to hear it. Okay, let's get into it with the lovely Hannah Brown. Let's just start with narcolepsy because you mentioned that off the bat. You were like, just come in. My first fun fact. <laughs> I mean, I have narcolepsy. Yeah. We have a lot of things and we're yeah. going to talk about them. But you said you had a lot of sleep tools because you have narcolepsy. Yes. What are your sleep tools? Well, first getting diagnosed with narcolepsy was actually from me being on some of these more like extreme shows. I noticed that I was just way sleepier than other people. First started when I was... Miss USA. I was Miss Alabama. And 
I just noticed I could fall asleep anywhere. So I didn't even need sleep tools. There could be a train, literally a train, (laughs) going right across the street. And I'm like sleeping to it. Or it would be in a party, fall asleep in rehearsals if I sat down, like falling asleep. And I was like, that's weird. But something that people don't know about narcolepsy is it sometimes gets later diagnosed because you just think that's just how everybody is. And like, there's something wrong with you. Like you're lazy. That's how I always thought. I was like, I'm lazy. And my parents kind of said the same thing too. They were like, come on, Hannah, like you can do it. But stop being lazy. Like, why are you always taking time to sleep? And so I noticed that two week period at Miss USA. I'm like, okay, something's up. I can't hang with other people. And then a few months later, I did The Bachelor. And there was a girl that was on the show with me who did have narcolepsy. Name's Katie. And we became friends. And she was like, hey, I think you should just like go see a sleep doctor because you could just fall asleep. Like we're in a row ceremony and you're asleep. Like at least they didn't show me like doing that too much. So the first thing was I went into the sleep study. They like didn't even make me finish it because I was going into REM sleep within 30 seconds of every nap or sleep cycle that we did. And then the first remedy for it was being put on Adderall, which... Well, you have ADHD yes, too, right? Yes, And Did that hadn't been diagnosed yet. No. no, okay. But also <laughs> anxiety. So Adderall is not the best with anxiety. And so that was the first way I tried to just like manage it. I wasn't actually... No tools was just trying to treat it to survive to be the bachelorette, basically. Because you don't sleep at all. So it was like, how can I stay awake? So it wasn't a sleeping tool. It was just like, I just need to stay awake and we're not really fixing anything. And with narcolepsy, there is no cure. It is just treatment. But I wouldn't say that's the first treatment you should have. It wasn't until I started working on my actual mental health and being treated for the anxiety, for the depression, for all those things more holistically. And then also like just having a team around me to support me that I worked with an actual sleep doctor. And that was when we made sure that we had all those tools. So that was, I mean, pitch black. It is dark in my room. When I go in my room, I don't just hang out in my room. You have to make sure that your bed becomes the place where you see either he says like sex or sleep. That is what happens there. And if I'm not tired, then I get up and I go on the couch. So that's like the first thing of just making my brain know that here is where I sleep. And then... I always have a sleep mask, even though like it's completely dark, blackout curtains, all the things and earplugs, sound machine. I'm trying to get into the mouth tape. How's that going? If I could conquer some of my anxiety a little bit more, I think that's the only thing it is. So I'm like, what if somebody comes and gets me? It's like, nobody's coming to get you. What if somebody comes and gets me and I can't scream? When I have it on, that's immediately where I go. But I've been trying to like slowly work on that. Do you do like a nighttime routine situation? My routine has been off for the past few months, but normally it's definitely like how I said, everything happens outside of the room. So I'll usually watch a little bit of TV. That's one of the last things we'll do. And then we'll drink like some type of calm tea and then go in the room. And then I try to read, even if it's only like two pages, I'm like, I'm going to read two pages and fall asleep. That just helps me get into that 
routine, but I also make sure that whatever I'm reading is not something like super heavy because I love a good self-help, let's figure out all your trauma book. That is not what I try to read before. So it's usually something light fiction to just try to get me into that state. And I usually will fall asleep pretty quickly. Okay. I have a question because you said that sleeping is hard on The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, all these shows. I know for my anxiety, what I veer towards is wanting to control every part of my situation. So if I'm like booking a hotel room, I'm like telling them I don't want to be near the elevators. I want to not be facing the street. I try to control everything that I can control because it helps assuage my sense of anxiety because it gives me that false or real sense of control. How did your anxiety deal with these situations, these shows that you've done where you're completely out of control of your time, your sleeping arrangements, what you're eating, all these things. It's weird. I feel like that's when I'm my best, even though I have pretty extreme anxiety sometimes. But what I've realized through some of these pretty extreme experiences is I think my body still kind of thrives better in chaos, even though it doesn't actually. But the nuances of real life cause me more anxiety than something when I know it's out of my control. Like there's something freeing about I have no control in this. And that's where I really zone in and focus. I don't know if that even makes sense, but it's like survival. I go into like fight or flight and I just zone in on how do I survive this? And those little things don't really matter anymore. Where in real life, I've realized that I'm safe. I realize that I have options. That stresses me out and causes me more anxiety. And it was really hard to even come to terms with that. When I really noticed it was this last kind of experience I did when I was on special forces, which was 10 days of special forces training. And it was really intense. I hate even calling it a show. It was like a real like social experiment. And everybody was like, I can't imagine doing this for another day longer. And I got to the point where I'm like, oh, this is my life now. I could do this. And why was that my thought? How did I get to that point of like, this felt safer and easier than sometimes regular life does? That's a hard thing to admit to yourself. But I think my life now for the first time, but there's some safety there that wasn't always there, maybe in my relationships and just paving my own way that dysregulates my nervous system where the chaos and not feeling like I have the control feels more normal. It's so interesting because you had this really traumatic experience as a child with your Mm -hmm. aunt and your cousin, two cousins or one? Two cousins, yeah. Two cousins. And I had a really traumatic experience as a childhood, not the same as that, but my mom was essentially in an accident, was in a coma for a really long time. And my parents got divorced as a result of it. And it was just this really traumatic thing when I was a kid. And I feel like that disrupted my sense of safety and my sense of adults' ability to keep me safe. But I had almost, it seems like an opposite reaction to that, where my response is to want to control everything and yours is to want to cede control? Or do you connect that to what happened in your childhood at all? Ooh, that kind of like gave me like a full body chill of like, oh, I think because what happened was horrible. It's something out of a 
scary criminal minds type thing to my family that I remember always just being like, okay, if this already happened to me once, something bad can't happen to me again, right? Like, but feeling like I had no control and knowing it was kind of like random. That's a freak thing. I feel like I'm having like a little therapy moment right now. So I don't know how to fully get into it. But yeah, I do think it's probably connected to like that was so out of control. I always think about if that was me, like if that would have been me in that situation, because my cousins were the same age as me, my brother and my aunt was the same age as my mom. And so people listen to crime shows. It's like the number one podcast. People listen to it because they try to like figure out what they would have done differently or what could have been, oh, well, this is where they messed up. So like I lived that kind of. And I remember my mom talking about it and like, oh, if she wouldn't have done this or if this wouldn't have happened. And if Robin, my cousin that was my age, wouldn't have gone. And so I think I would like live that. And I'm like, okay, if I'm in this type of situation, how do you survive? So it's out of your control. How do you survive? How do you make it through? I guess how that connects with being on some of these shows where it's like, you're in the situation. How do you survive? And that's how I lived my life. One of the earliest thoughts and memories I have is of that whole experience. And so sitting here right now, connecting the dots, I'm like, yeah, I guess that's where that comes from. It's just not controlling. It's just like, okay, now we're here. How do we get out or live or thrive in some way with the shit we've been given? Do you mind saying briefly what happened? Yeah. And gosh, if you would have asked me five years ago, I probably couldn't tell the story because it makes people uncomfortable. And knowing that you're going to make somebody uncomfortable telling a story is hard, but it's part of what made me who I am. But yeah, so my aunt and my uncle had two kids that were the same age as me and my brother. So like seven and five, I think, um, because they're a few months older. And they were building a house. And when they built their house, one of the men that was working at the house was like in jail, but like he got to, I don't know what that's called. Like a work program. Work program. And they became like good friends with him. He even got to live on their property. They had a trailer to finish the project and knew him well. And he was in jail for a nonviolent crime. For a nonviolent crime. And then he went back to where he was from. I think it was like marijuana and maybe was on some other drugs and wanted money, needed money, him and his girlfriend. And he remembered their house and he was actually going to go somewhere else to somebody else's house to rob them to their home and then to like their business. But he didn't go. And so he came to their house. He knocked on the door. She answered it, went to make him tea. She had Crohn's disease, went to the bathroom, saw him in her purse. And he, you know, wasn't there, but like brutally murdered my aunt. And then my cousin came downstairs. That was my age. And then he brutally murdered her. And then Trent, who was my brother's age, they told him to go hide. It was all just madness. And he still went up and found him and brutally murdered him. And my uncle came home at lunch and found them all. And I'll never forget the day because it was my dance recital. Isn't it also the day you got engaged on The Bachelor? Yes. That is wild wild. to me. Not that, like that No, but that it was the exact (laughs) day. Yeah. And I remember my dad wasn't going to be at my dance recital. I remember my mom getting me ready and knowing there was something wrong, that something had happened. 
when they found out. But being distraught because my dad left and wasn't going to be at my dance recital. And it's just so weird. Like as a kid, like you can pick up on something's going on. And then the next day they dropped me off at one of my friend's house because things were going on. And then on Sunday, which was actually Mother's Day, my mom brought me both me and my brother into his room and told me that they were our angels in heaven now and just like crying, but still not fully understanding. And then also just my dad was so angry. And so that was his baby sister. And it just completely wrecked our family. The guy that murdered them is still on death row. And even that's just crazy. Yeah, it like ruined our family and was not really talked about because it just broke everyone. I honestly blocked it out for years. I would hear a song that was played at their funeral and that would like remind me like, oh my gosh, this happened. This was probably like middle school, like elementary school to like high school. I had those moments. And then there'd be times where I would try to talk about it and then just realize like, oh, it wasn't accept- like received. And then I'm like, oh, well, I should probably not talk about this. And it wasn't until writing my book that I felt like, oh, I got to talk about this. Working with my therapist was the first time that I actually talked to my parents and really said how much it hurt me and how hard it was to be able to try to comprehend that, but feel like I didn't have anybody that I could really talk to. But then also having compassion for how do you tell a six-year-old that somebody came into your aunt and cousin's house and brutally murdered them on a random, it was a Friday. They were at home from school because it was a weather day. Like so many factors, can't even like fathom all that happening. So yeah, it definitely affected me and probably still something I know I need to keep diving deeper into of how much that affected how I view life and fear, just fear of life itself, I think. And I've been reading a lot about anxiety and there's a lot of times children will be scared of their parents dying. I was scared of my parents dying, but like I had like valid reason, you know, and that was harder. And my first experience with death, not a dog dying, you right. know? So do you talk about it in your family now? So actually my book, I haven't really talked about this, but it made my uncle not talk to my dad anymore. And my family and like said some pretty upsetting things about me talking about it because he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want people to know. And my parents really stood up for me in that of like, it's still my story and it's part of what has made me who I am and how I operate in the world. And I feel like this is the reason that some of the people in my family are where they are is because those feelings in this conversation of something that like deeply impacted us is still like one of those things like how dare you bring up their name or talk about them. So yes, but it's still something that it's sad and hard to talk about. But I think just being able to say like, hey, today, I don't know, I heard that song and it really just made me sad today or wonder what Robin would be like. Would we be friends? So yeah, we talk about it some, but probably still there's more healing to be done in our family for sure. And it struck me reading your book because you said you brought it up on The Bachelor and they weren't ready to talk about it yet or you'd bring it up with friends and they weren't ready to talk about it. It just felt so starkly clear how much trauma needs to be seen to be processed. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember people saying like 
on The Bachelor would be like, oh, that's a little, you know, we're ABC. Like, we're not talking about murder. <laughs> Real murder. You know, we'll do it on Scandal. Yeah, like, but we have a show about that. Yeah. But you're so right. Like, the more times you're told, Shh, be quiet, it just continues to just embed deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'll never forget my therapist being like, just if you can't talk about it, just write it down. And how, oh gosh, good that felt to do that. And then to be able to have this amazing conversation with my parents. It was probably the most connected I felt with my parents ever and heard. Because they have experienced too. And I think that's where it had to start. Had to start with them being able to accept and to hear how this thing that we all kind of went through together, how that made me feel for me to even feel like now I can talk to a random stranger about it because that's all I needed. Mm. I needed that. Okay, I'm going to tell you about my current obsession, the Element Chocolate Electrolytes. You drink these hot, like hot chocolate, and I know it sounds weird. I was so skeptical at first, but they are actually incredible. The saltiness adds a savory note that makes it taste way more sophisticated than normal hot chocolate. The flavors are amazing. Chocolate mint is my number one, but chocolate raspberry is a close second, and they hydrate you so much, which I especially love before bed because I get weirdly thirsty, but I don't want to drink too much water and then wake up and have to pee in the middle of the night. Electrolyte and sodium deficiency is actually at the root of many of the problems that even the healthiest eaters and athletes face. Things like headaches, muscle cramps, and fatigue. We're always told to just drink water when we have these symptoms, but drinking more water actually makes the problem worse if electrolytes are not also replaced. Hydration is not just about drinking more water. It is critical to hydrate with water plus electrolytes to get to euhydration, which is when we have adequate fluid balance in our bodies, and that's why Element is key for hydration. Each Element packet is made with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Element delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes without any sugar, fillers, or artificial coloring. If you want to try Element for yourself, the Liz Moody Podcast listeners can receive a free Element sample pack, which includes one packet of every flavor, including the new chocolate medley, with any order when you order at drinklmnt.com slash Liz. And if you do not love it, Element offers no questions asked refunds on all orders, so there's literally no risk in giving it a shot. That's drinklmnt.com slash Liz for your free sample pack today. I have been looking for a quality fish oil to take myself and recommend to you for years, and I genuinely couldn't find one that met my quality standards. And then I kept hearing from doctors on the pod about how important it was for our brains and our hearts, even dermatologists who said it makes a huge difference for our skin, and I was like, okay, I truly need to figure this out. Then I found O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil from Puri. The brand was literally created because the founder ran into the same problem as me. He couldn't find anything truly pure enough to take daily. Puri believes in full transparency with all of their products. Every single batch is third-party tested by the Clean Label Project and IFOS, which tests fish oils looking for the highest quality, safety, and purity standards in the world against more than 200 contaminants, heavy metals, pesticides, glyphosate, dioxins, and bisphenols, to name a few, and they always receive a 5 out of 5 star rating. 
Every Puri bottle actually comes with a QR code so you can scan and see the results for yourself. This is well above the standards of any other fish oil I've found, which is so important to me because if I am consuming something for my health, I don't want it to actually be causing harm. Puri's fish oil is so fresh, you'll never get any gross fishy burps because every batch is tested to make sure it hasn't oxidized and gone rancid. And yes, that is where those burps come from. Do not just take my word. With Puri, you can find actual data behind every single batch, which makes Puri a supplement brand that you can trust. Right now, Puri is offering my listeners 20% off their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil and all of their great products. Go to my special URL, puri.com slash Liz Moody, and use my promo code Liz Moody. This even applies to the already discounted subscriptions. You will get almost a third off the price. Go to puri.com slash L-I-Z M-O-O-D-Y. Do not wait. Use promo code Liz Moody at P-U-O-R-I dot com slash Liz Moody. Are there any things that your therapist has said or things that you've done or mindset shifts or tools that have been really helpful for you developing that sense of safety and security for yourself as an adult? We're still working on safe and unsafe. I think, honestly, I sometimes like putting myself in like Not extreme, but I do think safety and security kind of freaks me out sometimes. And we're working on that. But I have learned that I get to choose that. And even though choosing that sometimes feels uncomfortable because it's not normal. Like that was not the only chaotic, traumatic thing that was happening in my life as a child. My parents didn't have like the best relationship. Are your parents together now? They are together. Yes. (laughs) I love them. And they're relationship has gotten better, but it was not something I would want to mimic in my own relationship. And that's been hard to navigate too. And that they're together through all that is also like weird and hard, but that's a whole other thing that I'm still trying to also understand. But yeah, I think just realizing like a lot of times in therapy we were talking about is sometimes that like safety and I have to choose for myself to choose something different. And that's going to feel uncomfortable for a while. But if I just keep at it, that is what I truly desire. That's what I truly want. That's what I truly deserve. I don't deserve to live in chaos all the time. My instincts are to choose that. But realizing that I have another option. It's also so interesting because sometimes you thrusting yourself into chaos has paid off. Like that's what's really hard. You went on The Bachelor, which you didn't even apply for. And then you went on The Bachelorette. And then the special forces thing, it actually seems like it was transformative for Mm -hmm. you in a lot of really positive ways. So then it's like, is your brain like, wait, no, sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's bad. So how am I supposed to know? Yeah. It's like, okay, these things put yourself outside of your comfort zone. And doing these things have also paid off in some ways. In some ways, not so much. Like the other side of the coin, there's also definitely that. But I do think doing it scared is really valuable in my life. Like going after things and trying things, even though I'm terrified, reminds me how strong and resilient and how much like there's a reason that I've gotten to where I am today. And it's because of putting myself in those situations and being able to prevail. So how can I do that in a way that's a little bit more safe? If that makes sense. So like one thing I've said, which 
have asthma, so I'm still trying to figure this out. After I did Special Forces, one goal I really want to do is like try to like climb like Mount Kilimanjaro or something. Like that is wild and is definitely a big goal and task. But why am I doing it too? Putting myself in these uncomfortable situations is important for me to keep doing and having a little bit of that fear put in there is nice. It accelerates me. I feel like I can get stuck really easily in my anxiety. So having something that's like pushing me out the window, like pushing me out the door, like I need that little jolt of you have to go and you have to do something to survive that like helps, I don't know, like kicks everything back into gear sometimes. So like making sure that that is a part of my life in some way, but in a little bit more secured way that I can control some of the things I've done. I've given away my control so much. And so learning to get that back has been a journey. How has that impacted your relationship? So you're in this secure, stable relationship now. Is there a part of you that like wants to run from that? Yes. And we talk about that a lot. And I'm pretty open about that because I don't think I'm alone in that. And people don't talk about it enough. I think when your pattern is chaos and pining over people, like I thought people who were really hard for me to like convince or see the value in me that I was lovable were like, oh, that means they're worth it more. And so the harder it is, the better it's going to be. And there was chemistry in that. There was this fire in that, but rarely ever safety or sense of real worthiness that came from myself. It came from somebody else being like, okay, I'll be with you now. But I've noticed that cycle, even in those hard relationships that I had of maybe started very unhealthy, when if they did start to be more stable, I was like, oh, I don't want that anymore. Like, that has been my pattern. And this relationship's the first relationship that started out. Well, I didn't start out healthy. And he's definitely grown. But he showed me very upfront that he chose me and would be somebody who really valued what I said, what I did, who I was. And I didn't have to show up with a mask and that felt really vulnerable. And I pride myself on being pretty vulnerable, but there's like a point where I'm like, oh, but not that vulnerable. (laughs) Yeah, not that. And it has been a challenge in that way to be able to fully accept someone who fully accepts me. Because there's almost, if we are still struggling with that self-love and self-acceptance and somebody else loves and accepts us, then we're like, well, what's wrong with that? Yes. Is there judgment impaired? Yes. And kind of can have like some resentment of, I mean, I have said this multiple times. I'm like, why do you like me? I don't understand. And he's like, well, I do. I love you and don't think less. And we had this conversation. He was like, do not think less of me because I know I'm right and you're wrong about you. And I was like, oh. He's like, isn't that true though? That it, the yeah, people that yeah. love us can sometimes see us clearer than we can see yeah. ourselves. It's really beautiful, but it's hard to sometimes receive, especially as someone who's like lived my life from like accomplishment to accomplishment or being like, look, I did this. Now, now I'm lovable. Now I'm lovable. <laughs> why, why don't you want to be with me? You know, whatever. 
And being able for somebody to see me like strip down and be like, yep, I still choose you. Like, yep, I want that one. I want this. It's like still really something that I struggle with. But I choose. And I think love is something that you choose. There's obviously lots of factors, but like I am continuing to choose to show up for myself, even though sometimes it feels uncomfortable to like fully make choices for myself and even the self sometimes that I don't see, you know? The accomplishment thing is interesting because I do that with my husband where I'm like, look at the podcast I'm going on. Look at the book that I'm writing. Like, look at my accolades. And he's like, that's cool. Like, and he's so happy for me for all of it. But I'm almost trying to be like, see me, love me. And he's like, that's not why I see you or love you at all. But then I'm like, but what? So what is it? What's the thing? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I'm curious, actually, do you think knowing what you know now about yourself and your needs and your desires as a person, would you have picked somebody different if you were the bachelorette now? Yeah. When you know, who, like, is there a person that comes to mind? I don't know, because I think the whole experience would have been different. I would have seen everyone through a different lens. So it's hard to really say that. I think that there would have been relationships that would have been easily like, no, wouldn't have done that. But also kind of that same thing. Like, I think there wasn't as much control as you think there is in that situation of making decisions. Yeah. There's a lot of factors. And I think maybe at this age, I would have been able to even recognize that. I know. I wish they had. I know they have the golden bachelor now, mm-hmm. but I just wish they had bachelor for people like in their 30s who've like lived some life. But and, that's like, why it wouldn't work. Yeah. But those are the people like when I watched The Bachelor and I haven't watched it in a really long time. I did watch your season, but I'm not invested because I'm like people in their early 20s shouldn't be getting married. Like it's like, hard for me to get yeah. invested because even if they do get married, it's not going to work out because they're too or definitely young. Definitely not this way. Yeah. I mean, I was the youngest bachelor and I remember. Because, How old were you? 24. That's like. If my sister came to me and she was like, I'm 24, I found my husband. I'm like, no, you didn't. (laughs) I think it was confusing for me because a lot of my girlfriends and I was in a long-term relationship in college and like thought that I was going to be with that person. I had two long-term relationships that like I thought, oh, like this could be it. And a lot of my friends did get married right after college and they do have great relationships. I mean, they've had to work at their relationship. I met my husband, my now husband, my only husband. I met my husband when I was 21. So I do believe you can meet somebody young. But did I know that we could get married when I was 24? No, because we changed and evolved so much throughout our entire 20s. We didn't get married until we were 30, which I was really annoyed about at the time. And I'd get drunk and be like, why won't you propose? You know, but I think you change and evolve and grow so much. And if you're really lucky and you work really hard at it, you change and evolve and grow together. But it's also very, very easy to change and evolve and grow apart. Yes, yes. And so I think at that time, though, I'm like, oh, I can do this. I feel like I'm ready for that. So I would get like annoyed when people like, oh, she's so young to be the bachelorette because all around me, nobody else was saying that because everybody else was... My mom got married at 24. Most people that I knew around me got married at, you know, early 20s. So I thought, for sure, I'm ready for this. Not only was I not ready, (laughs) but I was not ready to do that so publicly. And I think I'd only kissed like three guys, maybe four guys before I was even on the show. Like I'd only had long-term relationships. To go from that and then 
in one night, one week kissing like 12 guys. I think that also like did something weird with my identity. There was so much that happened that as a young adult, I didn't fully understand. And I mean, I'm still trying to process all that that did to shape me in good and bad ways. I also think it's wild that you had slept with two guys and then you go on The Bachelor and because of the whole situation with Luke and you were like, I don't know, I think you were like, I had sex and Jesus still loves me or something like that. And like you became this like icon of sex positivity. That was hard. I remember at that time reading all like the Us Weeklies and people being like, yeah, did you see? Because it was something that, like that had never happened on The Bachelor. And then I read your book and I was like, wait, she'd slept with two guys before and then she was being put on that pedestal. It's so interesting to be put on this pedestal by some people as yeah. an icon of sex positivity and then also ripped apart by other people. Like I literally remember hearing Hannah Brown, the sex positive bachelorette. And there was like so much shame in that. But I think Luke was almost like a symbol of that shame, like coming up and telling me how it was wrong. And I just freaked out and, you know, good and bad. Like I, I see a lot of good of me, like taking that stance for myself. But then also what was bad was actually people like blaming that I was something that I wasn't really sure. Not that it was bad to be that, but I didn't really know where I stood of how do I feel after all this shit has just happened to my life and like mixed it up so much. Do I still kind of have that shame? Yeah, I do. And I didn't end up with either one of these guys. And I think I have a little shame from that as well, because I don't know how I really feel. And not that I think I did anything, not that I'm horrible or wrong or people choosing that think it's great or wrong, or even people that are saying like, oh, I don't know if that's how I would choose to do the whole situation. Like, you know what? <laughs> I think I might have done it differently too. But that was really, really hard for me. And just the way that it's continued to affect even how I view myself as a sexual being too. Like that really did affect me because good or bad, wrong or right, I didn't really fit either side of what people were saying about me. So then I think because I've let go of so much control and, and was just letting people say what I was and wasn't, it didn't come to a head until maybe two years ago of me being like, I don't really know who I am. I don't know. I don't think I fit any of these things that people are saying about me, but I don't even know how to define myself anymore. And so that has been my dark night of the soul that I've kind of been going through of really being able to first admit and acknowledge that and then trying to get to know myself without all the labels or accomplishments and things that I'm doing like stripped away. And even as I continue to do things that are really cool and maybe accomplishments that that doesn't really define me or like, why am I doing these things and actively having to be like, okay, this is part of who I am or how much attachment am I having on to these things that I'm doing? It really spiraled into a whole big thing <laughs> in my life. It did seem to be a through line when I was diving deep into you for this podcast, this question of how do I figure out my identity when from my earliest waking memories, everybody is telling me what my identity is. What does that 
look like for you? What is the work around figuring out who you actually are and who you want to be look like? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to therapy today and sometimes I just go in and I think even acknowledging that so I, in my book, I talk about like I always smiled and I was always smiley, happy. So then I was just the happy Hannah. Like people would be like, oh, she's the happiest. When I was actually pretty sad as a child. But that also was sh- shuts down because I'm supposed to be happy. The person that brings the joy, brings the energy and kind of allowing myself for the first time that like that's not fully who I always am. I wish I was always that way, but I am not. Sometimes I go into therapy and I'm like, I'm sad. I don't even know how to cry. And just learning and accepting all the little parts of me that for so long didn't fit with what others claimed and what I claimed for me to be. So that's been really uncomfortable. I'll start doing a lot of like EMDR therapy. It's been very tough, if you can imagine, getting in there and allowing myself to honestly just start crying again, like allow myself to grieve. The grieving of all this stuff, it feels selfish or like ungrateful to grieve when I was given so much also in some of these situations. And I think it was last session we were talking she's like you can also be mad you can also be mad for the things that were taken away and she's like I know you're gonna say but I had so much she's like that's true but we don't have to say that in here we can grieve the parts that were taken away or the things that were said about you that were not true instead of just being quiet and letting you know social media and things make it really hard because it's like oh well I'm just gonna let people can think whatever they want of me and she's like true but you can also say that in here but that's effed up. Well, and suffering isn't comparative. I did that. And I'm sure that you had this experience with your aunt and your cousins is that like, I was like, yes, my life was impacted by this, but my mom's was impacted in so much more of a greater way. And so it's not fair for me to feel bad. Like she's the one who should get to feel bad, but suffering isn't comparative. Yeah. Social media has made that harder though sometimes because it's constantly you know, I could say one thing. I'm trying to be vulnerable on social media about like, man, I'm having a hard day. And it's like, you're having a hard day. Think about the people here. I think that social media, I think it's very hard to find nuance or empathy in the amount of time that we're allowed to have on social media, like these 15 to 60 second snippets. It's why I strongly prefer real conversations. And I think we're all craving complexity of emotion in a way that social media just by nature of the format does not allow for. Yes. I mean, gosh, my relationship with social media has been so, I thought I was getting a little bit better with it and now I'm starting to feel it again. It's so heavy. It just feels like this circle. Uh, I'm trying to build community on there and like you can, but there's only so much you can do without stripping away everything that's in actual real life for me. Like I have ADHD. Social media can start to become not only like an escape, but become the thing that like I have focus on when I need to be here. I need to be present. I need to be content. But like, how do you do all that? I think everyone's trying to find the balance of that. But especially when it comes to allowing yourself to be a full person and find an identity, social media is not the place that's going to help you really. That and while you're searching, sometimes it can really be 
hard. Like, I feel like I'll be doing so good and then I'll go on social media and be like, oh, you're just getting hit a little bit. But continuing to try to like stay the path and allow myself to really keep digging deeper is what we're trying to do right now and just my processing and healing journey. Meal prepping is one of the biggest life hacks. There is nothing more anxiety reducing than taking a daily concern and turning it into something you think about every few days or even once a week. And if you think meal prepping is hard, I feel you. I'm there with you. And this is going to change your meal prep game. The Caraway Bakeware and Storage Containers. The storage containers are amazing. They're all microwave, oven, and freezer safe, so you can do what I do and store your food in them in the freezer in individual portion sizes. The small one is perfect for one person. And then you transfer that directly to the oven or microwave sans glass lid to reheat it, kind of like a way healthier freezer meal. They're also completely non-toxic, so you can feel okay about heating them up. If you're listening and you are microwaving in plastic containers, please, please stop. You are transferring harmful chemicals to your food, and then you are eating those chemicals. There are a ton of studies that show that at this point. I also love the glass lids. You can easily peep in and you can see what's in there. And these are also stunning. They come in gorgeous colors. They look beautiful in your cabinet, fridge, and freezer. And that is a hack unto itself because you will want to use these. The bakeware is also amazing. It's made of non-toxic materials and it's completely non-stick, so you don't need to use parchment paper, aluminum foil, any of that. It cooks really evenly. I've tested it with sheet pan veggies and with cookies, and the browning has been unbelievable. I also love the muffin pans because I never have muffin containers around and I'm not down for most muffin pans to touch the food that I eat, but muffin pans are so helpful for meal prep. You can make single serving frittatas, you can portion out soup and freeze it and then pop it in a big storage bag. You can make servings of sauce and freeze them. And again, they are so cute. I would personally start with the baking sheet duo and the muffin pan plus the food storage container set. They also just released a stainless steel pan set, which I am very interested in testing. I love cooking with stainless steel. It's actually incredibly nonstick if you use it properly. So I will test that and I will get back to you. All Caraway products are made without any toxic materials like PFAs, PTFE, PFOA, or other chemicals, which I always look for in anything that's touching my food. If you've been wanting to try Caraway products, you are in luck. Visit carawayhome.com slash Liz M to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com slash Liz M or use code Liz M at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. One of the top questions I get is what I use for birth control after making the switch from hormonal options. And I will not stop singing from the rooftops about my absolute love for the Natural Cycles app. It's changed my life so much to have a completely non-hormonal, non-invasive form of birth control, which I never thought was possible. I've gotten my libido back, my anxiety has gone significantly down, and while I'm not anti-hormonal birth control by any means, I'm just so happy this option exists. Natural Cycles is a leading women's health company that created the world's first FDA-cleared birth control app. The app's algorithm uses hormone-driven changes in body temperature to let users know when they're fertile or not fertile. It's 93% effective with typical use and 98% effective with perfect use. The app uses a color-coded system, and every day, based on your temperature, you'll get red or green days if you're in Natural Cycles birth control mode. Red days mean you're fertile and you should abstain or use protection. Green means that you are good to go at it however you would like. 
I love natural cycles because it's grounded in research. There is a proven connection between body temperature and ovulation. Right before ovulation, progesterone levels start to rise, and progesterone actually increases your body temperature. This change in body temperature is what the app's algorithm looks for to let users know when they're fertile or not fertile. It's really different than just taking your own temperature and tracking. Your temperature is going into an algorithm developed by a female physicist, Alina, who was on the team that discovered the Higgs boson particle, which led to the Nobel Prize for Physics. And they're doing a bunch of crazy science to make the predictions way more accurate than what we can do at home. We're all different, so I think it's important to be aware of all of the options out there when it comes to something as personal as birth control. I have loved using natural cycles as my preferred birth control method, so I am thrilled that listeners of the Liz Moody podcast can get to try it for themselves. You can use code Liz at naturalcycles.com to get 15% off an annual subscription plus a free thermometer or go to naturalcycles.app slash Liz. Again, that is code Liz at naturalcycles.com. Natural Cycles is for 18 and over and does not protect against STIs. A question that I get asked a lot because I have anxiety is how do I help my partner deal with my anxiety or what do they do to deal with my anxiety or anything like that? I'm curious what you guys do in your relationship. So when we first started dating, or not first, but, you know, we'd been dating a little bit. I started noticing he was like reading different books that were titled like ADHD or anxiety. Aww. He started reading about how to be that is so a good sweet. partner for somebody like for me and for me I think wait did he get any good like tips yeah I think basically I had not been diagnosed with ADHD when he was reading these books about ADHD (laughs) (laughs) so what to do when your partner has ADHD and you're like babe (laughs) I don't have ADHD (laughs) turns out it's hard I will say it's hard for him but because he puts in the effort not for me but for just our relationship it helps. And we have really good communication, I would say, for the most part of like, hey, I'm super anxious right now. And he can be like, why are you anxious? I'm like, I really don't know. But I know this happened. And this is where it started. And I know you probably didn't mean anything by this. But it's created this like sense of angst. Because it, and then we talk about it. And I'm like, maybe it's because of this past thing. And he's like, I get it. But it's creating that space to be able to talk about it. Sometimes he's different than me and he needs a second, which is probably good. Sometimes I want to fix it right now. Anxiety. (laughs) Let's fix it now. And he'll take a step back and be like, hey, I hear you. I'm going to need a minute. And we'll come back and talk. But it's all about because we've created that safety in our relationship to have really vulnerable conversation. And look, I probably could still work on it. And he has ways that he can also work on it as well. Like, Sometimes I'm craving connection and in doing that, I like to share and I'm really honestly sharing because I want him to share a little bit more. Oh, that's interesting. And do you ever say? Yes. Yeah. And he's like, you know, like this is something that I do have a hard time. Like he can listen, but it's him actually being vulnerable and sharing too. And I can feel it. And so I'll try to open an opportunity and he shares, hopefully see if he'll share. And when he doesn't, it like, then it creates this anxiety. And that's been one of our things. He's like, yeah, like, you know, you've been doing so much work on yourself and for our relationship. Like there's still things that I need to work on and being able to communicate and share with you too. And that feels really nice. And 
I think both just doing our part of being able to show up not only just for ourselves, most importantly, but for each other too. And that means you have to work and have uncomfortable conversations. And I think it's just like being up for, even though it may not be what you want to do on a Friday night, having that uncomfortable conversation of why maybe I'm all over the place or can't feel connected or my mind somewhere else. And it's like, we're watching this show, but you're on your phone and I'm actually just staring at the wall. It's like, okay, where's the disconnect here? And sometimes it's not a fun conversation. But Have you guys anyway. done couples therapy? We did couples therapy pretty early in our relationship because of what we talked about earlier. Like I knew we've always gotten along great. We are very compatible, but there was always this like kind of internal friction and like fear about this relationship for me. And so I was like, would you do couples therapy with me? Because I feel like I don't know how to explain why this relationship's hard for me because it's not a hard relationship. It's actually a really easy relationship, but that actually makes this hard for me. So to do that, I felt like I needed somebody to come in and like help me be able to say that in a not just like in a gentle way, being able to describe like why these certain things make me anxious or make me scared. And so, yeah, we did that for a little while and then kind of stopped because our therapist was like, I love you guys because you actually like can communicate very well with each other. A lot of the work was mean us needing to do our own separate work too. And I've been doing that. And he actually last week was like, you know what? I'm finally going to do like my own individual therapy because we are engaged now. and. With that comes excitement, but also like fear too. And I think it's important for us to do that. And then, of course, we'll probably do some more couples therapy. I think therapy is great. Therapy is great. And I think that we've gotten to a place on a societal level where we really normalized individual therapy, but there's still this stigma of like, if you're in couples therapy, something's wrong with your relationship. And I hate it. My husband and I have done couples therapy in the same way that I want the tools in my individual life I want the tools in my relationship mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I mean, I have realized, I feel like I have to do my individual work to really understand this relationship anxiety that I have. And that does need to be done first by myself. But even still, I feel like couples therapy is kind of just like maintenance. It's making sure like, getting your oil checked and making sure like the fluid in your windshield wipers is working. Like there's little things that can turn into big things if you don't have maintenance and talk about them. And I think therapy allows you to do that in a safe way. Sometimes I don't know how to fully express myself and I try and then I like really botch it. We're in therapy. There's somebody else there that's like almost like a buffer that when I say something, can ask another question that maybe he can't ask in that moment because he's like, wait, I'm really confused. But this buffer's there that can ask the question that's really going to get me to say what I'm trying to say. And that helped us so much. And yeah, we talked. He's going to start his individual therapy, but we're like, we should definitely start back. All the therapies, but doing that together as a couple. How does your anxiety show up now in your life? It's ebbed and flowed a lot recently. It shows up a lot as me being like pretty stuck. I get stuck really easily. Like so many things going on, lost in thought, can't really finish sentences. I always say like it feels like my brain kind of feels like I'm on like a hamster wheel. 
but things are just like flying off of it and I'm trying to grab them, but like also trying to keep my heart rate at the same (laughs) speed and trying to sing at the same time. It's like, there's a lot of going on and really there's no way for me to do it. I will Google everything. That's how it shows up a lot. Like Google, is this headache a brain tumor? Yeah. Or like a lot of it's like relationship stuff. So say I'm like upset with Adam. I'm like signs that you're ready to get married or like just things like that all the time because I sometimes get stuck. And so anything progressing is hard for me because I don't like the state that I'm in right now. So things that I'm excited about in the future, I don't want to show up the way I am right now. And so I'll stress about those things like, oh, but this is why I can't do it. And it's like, no, I'm just really not actually content with where I am right now because I feel so at disease. And also, I feel like there's such a trust component probably, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're taught from the youngest age that you shouldn't trust the world to be safe, that you shouldn't trust what you want your body to look and feel like, that you shouldn't trust how you would want to present yourself in a pageant form, all of your work experience has been the world telling you how you should present yourself, Mm -hmm. not to trust yourself, not to trust your own instincts. And so I imagine that rebuilding that self-trust muscle so that when you're saying, this is the person that I want to marry, this is what I want my life to look like, you believe yourself. That would be really hard, I imagine. And it's a lot of deconstructing right now. I would say to anybody that it is hard to start doing this stuff. And sometimes it gets a little harder before it gets better. And I feel like I've gone into like even a deeper work lately that's brought the cracks to the surface and I'm having to see where there's still some work to be done but I have so much hope that it gets better because I've fallen and I've gotten back up and felt better and I just know that's just kind of like it's life it's gonna ebb and flow and right now my anxiety has been a little bit harder to manage but even the other day We were at Thanksgiving at my fiance's family's house and they had this swing outside and full story, if you're in the book, like I had like this traumatic fall and I was on a swing and we were swinging and I just remember I was like, will you keep swinging me? I'm going to close my eyes and just feel this. And because it kind of took me back to this place of like this trauma, but I closed my eyes and I'm like, you're safe now. Like you can do this. Just like continuing to like practice those moments of feeling really vulnerable, really scared, really uncomfortable, but then reminding myself like, you've got this, you're safe, this is scary. And then eventually I felt like on the swing, I felt my body go like at peace when it was really freaked out at first. So continuing to put like push myself and do it scared. I mean, that is like my motto is how my anxiety manifest as being stuck. Like there are times that I just have to try and do it and do the thing that I know will be good for me, even when I don't really feel like it. I love that story because it's the adult you now giving the child you the sense of safety and security that the adults weren't able to give the child you. Yeah. That swing this weekend was so weird because I was just like, I'm going to swing. And then I felt the trauma like come up. Because the way that it was like one of those swings for like children where it kind of has like a trampoline like bungee to it and it's like a circle and he has two twin nephews so they like play on it but it's on this big tree and you pull it up. I mean, you're this far from the ground but you're not going to hit the ground. But 
it feels like you're going to. And this is the only other time that I've ever felt that. I've skydived. I've done all these things. That was the closest thing to that like traumatic moment. And I was like, wow, this just like brought that up. But I made myself stay on the swing. And it was really cool to feel that sense of security in my body that I know different. I can protect myself. I'm going to hold on. And I'm like, oh, I've got to continue to make moments like this in my life. Mm, yeah. I just got shivers. Is there anything else that you do if you wake up anxious on any day that helps? Like tools or practices or mantras or things that you say to yourself? I think a walk is always so important. Though I can tell you all the things that I do when I like, I'm like, okay, this is not working. But, you know, at first it always seems like, why is the thing first thing is like, oh, I'm going to scroll. And then I'll be like, nope, <laughs> Hannah, this is making you worse. Get up. And so I'll usually go walk. I'll try to schedule in a workout that day. And then writing. So like journaling, that's still something that I'm trying to like get better at. But sometimes like the other day I woke up really anxious. At least it coincided with a day that I didn't have much to do, which is great. A lot of times I like wake up anxious and it's like, you have a ton of stuff to do today. You're going to have to just sometimes figure it out. Sometimes that helps me though. Like sometimes yeah. I feel like when I'm home and I have nothing to do and I don't have that structure, I'm like, oh, this is nice. But then it actually makes me get worse all day. Yes. Yeah. But I just was like, all right, write down everything. It was just like a note of dread, but at least got it out. And then on the next page, I wrote all the good things. I was like, okay, I wrote all the dread, but now I'm just going to write a few good things about today. And that just might be that my tea's warm right now. That can be really hard in those moments of dread, the gratitude, but how important it is to just write down a few things that you can think of in that moment. And then it ends up being a lot more things. So those two things are really important movement and then just writing out something even though I want my journaling to be some type of beautiful, I've figured out why I am this way. <laughs> That's not happening as much. <laughs> or being able to find like a metaphor for why this is. That's not happening as much. But writing all the bad things and then ending on the good things does help. And being able to talk about it. I'm really thankful to have a partner that I can say, hey, I'm really anxious today. And they'll ask why and support me through that. I'm really, really thankful for that. I love that. Well, we like to end on a homework assignment, something that people can do immediately after they turn off the podcast. So for you, I'll let you choose or you can do both. Let's do either one homework assignment for figuring out who you are as a person on your truest level and or one homework assignment for your mental health. Uh, okay. So what I'm doing for trying to figure out just like who I am, how I want to show up in the world is recognizing those moments throughout the day that I feel my body go a little bit more at ease or feel like a real smile, like a gall on my face. Like yesterday, I got this stupid projector of snowflakes that's kind of dumb to go in my house. But it, when I set it up this perfect way, like I was just like smiling and I'm like, I love creating really fun things for people to walk by and enjoy. And that was little, but I like made note of it. So if you're like in a funk, like I've been just making little notes of, okay, I didn't have to try that hard. 
because I feel like I try a lot. I didn't have to try that hard to feel good in this little moment and take note of that because that's pointing you more to like what brings you that joy and who you are. It doesn't have to be anything really big. It can be a snowflake projector. Okay. But just take note of that today. I love that because you hit the identity and the mental health in one homework assignment. (laughs) Look at that. That was wonderful. What an overachiever. But you're loved and valued regardless of your overachievements. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Hannah. This is awesome. I really appreciate you. I'm excited to have you on my podcast. Yay. I loved this episode so much. Hannah is just so open and honest and raw and introspective after having been through so much. Definitely go and listen to our episode of Better Tomorrow, which I will link in the show notes, and you can find by searching Better Tomorrow wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. I am so glad that you're here. Make sure that you're following on whatever platform you like to listen on. All you have to do is go to the main podcast page. That's the one that lists all of the Liz Moody podcast episodes, and you will see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. This way, you will not miss out on any new episodes. They will appear right in your feed every single Wednesday, and you do not want to miss out because we have some very exciting ones coming up, including an episode about why so many young people are getting cancer and the steps you can take right now to protect yourself. This is not scary. This is pragmatic, but this is information that we need to have. You might have seen the headlines recently. And then we have another episode that gives us tiny ways to infuse our lives with joy. Okay, I love you, and I will see you not next Wednesday, but next Monday for this month's advice episode of the Liz Moody podcast. We have a very fun guest for this one, someone who's likely made you laugh a lot on TV over the years and who shares a lot of great wisdom. So you do not want to miss out. That will be going live on Monday and I will see you then. When Zach and I started Healthy Convo Co., we needed to find the easiest way to get conversation cards from our warehouse onto our website and into your hands. I thought it was going to be the hardest part of starting a business, but it wound up being one of the easiest because we just used Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling gorgeous ceramics to sip morning tea from or beautiful journals to write prompts from the we're all in this together deck in, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I know as a consumer, I'm way more likely to buy when a website has Shopify. It has all of my information saved, so checkout becomes a one-click situation even on small business sites, which makes me so happy because I love shopping small. But it's not just small. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. 
because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Liz M, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Liz M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Liz M. 